welcome everyone to the first panel, in, uh, the first comics panel of this Facts Weekend. We have uh, a key for every lock, or a yeah. lock. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's my funny, funny title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a, a lock and key conversation, of course, with uh, esteemed creators. That is, J Photos. Oh, you're J Photos. <laughs> Oh, there, yeah. It's dreadful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. J Photos and Gabriel Rodriguez. Yeah, Give them a warm uh, round, please. Thank you. Uh, of course, we are going to be talking about uh, lock and key mainly, but we would like to um, uh, talk about you as creators as well. Cool. And maybe you can uh, start your own introductions. Uh, where are you from? Not not in the locational sense, but yeah. the vocational sense. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up in comics? And um, yeah, well, well, let's start there and see where we are end up. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, well, I'm, I, I flew in from Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm originally from New York, uh, but I came in from Arizona. I've been out in Arizona for 20 years now, and. Uh, I started working with Todd McFarlane on Spawn back in 1998, and uh, from there branched on, worked on like Lady Death with Chaos Comics, and then eventually started working with IDW, and then got introduced with Gabe, and then we started uh, with Land of the Dead. Yeah, that and was the first thing we did together. The Great and Secret Show. Great and Secret Show. Yeah. And then Onyx. Yeah, and Beowulf. Beowulf, yeah, yeah. yeah, Beowulf. And then, of course, Lock and Key. Yeah. So we've been working together since 2006. Yeah, mostly all yeah. over 12 many, years. Yeah, many, many pages. Yeah, over a thousand yes, together. Yes, over a yeah. thousand pages yeah. we've done together. Lock and Key alone, it's 150 pages. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so that's a, lot a lot of work. Of, yeah. Lots and lots of work, a lot of hours. Yeah, <laughs> sitting in front of a computer, you know, but yeah. but all worth it. Beautiful, it's a beautiful project. Everybody on it is incredible. So, well, go. my name is uh, Gabriel Rodriguez. I was uh, born and raised and living in Santiago, Chile. So it's a bit of a big jump to get here, but it's always great to be to be around people that has been reading our stuff and supporting the work we do. Um, I read comics since I was very young. I was very lucky that my parents uh, realized since I was a child that I loved drawing and illustration. So they bring me lots of books with pictures and stuff. And when I found comics, and I fell in love with this form of art and storytelling. My earliest approach to comics was like through European classics like Tintin and Asterix. And from then on, later, I got into superheroes and other stuff. But I, I got a, a, a more like uh, driven approach to, to stuff like more indie stuff from the US and stuff like Sandman and, and, and the Vertigo comics of the, me, the 90s certainly cemented my, my love for the form and always like studying a, a lot of European authors like Mobius and others and at Book and other guys of, of, of the such. And I was growing up never hoping to be able to make a career in comics. In Chile, we don't have an established comic industry. But then when I was uh, finishing my studies in architecture, uh, I'm an architect, uh, uh, I got uh, the chance to send some samples to different publishers. And at that point, I got an uh, email connection with the people from IDW Publishing in San Diego that were looking for an artist to do a comic book uh, version of the CSI TV show. Let me ask, like, so what were like your first um, samples that yeah. you were showing? What were they? Yeah, I did a. I was like, I did a couple of works of illustration back in Chile, and I showed. So that they were just a, like spot illustrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, okay. And then, uh, but nothing like a panel. panel. No, I, I did a comic book myself when I was finishing my project of architecture, and I have like my last uh, summer vacation, mm -hmm. and before entering the the real world of working, I knew that I was never going to have a summer vacation again. So I spent that summer doing a, an entire comic book that I wrote and I drew. It was uh, about 30 pages. And I sent that to different publishers in Chile, hoping that maybe someone would want to try something with that. And uh, obviously, they would, weren't able. But one of those guys sent my samples to a, a publisher in Spain. 
Uh, that guy told me, well, I have a friend that uh, has contact with a publisher in the U.S. that's looking for an artist to this uh, comic book for CSI. Mm -hmm. So I got contact f uh, with a guy from IDW and an enter a sort of international content mm -hmm. to contest to get that job. So I was participating with the other uh, artists from Latin America and, and Europe. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting that job via email. So that was like my first professional work. Do you in still have that original comic book that you did? I, I think I do have it, but I'm not sure. I'm you not should, sure if it could have been lost. You should in look the into that and publish uh, yeah, it. That'd no, be awesome. No, no, no. It's, it was horrible. Remember what it was about? I don't. Yeah, it was a sort of a urban myth uh, adventure with a little supernatural elements. Uh, but I, I, I would I love think to see safest. that. Right? You guys I, I think to it's that? safe that that should be lost. <laughs> I'm not oh. sure that anyone should see that one. Awesome. But I'm very happy that it allowed me to, to get my very first job. And then I got uh, the CSI comics with IDW. From then on, I've been working nonstop because I started with them in 2002 and been working until today in different projects. As, as Jay said, yeah. I spent like four years working in the CSI comics and then I got the chance to do the Land of the Dead adaptation in which I got introduced with Jay and we've been working together almost nonstop since yeah, then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, heavy metal. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I'm f 48, so in the 70s when I'm growing up, I wasn't a big comic book fan, and the reason why is because uh, traditional comic books were, were, to me, they were kind of stagnant. They were just kind of bu 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 how they did the layouts and, mm -hmm. and art and everything. It was just very stiff to me. But heavy metal, my, my father would buy them in the late 70s. I think it came out in 1977 was the first issue that came out. And my dad would buy them. He wouldn't let me look at them because they had the boobies and all yeah. that stuff in it. So I had to sneak up into the attic and like look through them or whatever. And what's kind of funny is my, father, my parents are actually moving out. They're, I'm from New York, but uh, they're moving out to Arizona and they're going through all their old shit, and they're and he found all the originals heavy metals from when I was a kid. Cool. And he sent me a picture. And he's like, "Do you want these?" Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I want those. Of course. <laughs> you know, so he sent those out to me. So it was really cool. To, I mean, from you know, 1977, 78, yeah. he had all those first few issues, and that introduced me into Frazetta and Bernie Wrightson. Mm -hmm. Those were my Mobius. Huge, uh, Mobius, yeah. yeah. Mobius is a big Corbin and all that. Uh, yeah, Corbin. Yeah, yeah, Richard Corbin. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well. Den, he, the guy yeah. with the big boobs <laughs> and the you know whatever. <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, yeah, that's when I got introduced to Frazetta. Frazetta was my god, my god, <laughs> you know. And and did that um, uh, heavy metal influence? Did that inform you as to where you would look for a job? No. Um, <laughs> Because I went to art school, yeah. and this is uh, back in the early '90s, and I kind of, I kind of like fantasy art, I guess, right? But I didn't know where to go with it, you know. So I think when I went to art school, I was like kind of seeing like what what direction I can go in, and then I kind of took classes that I thought would help me, like life drawing, uh, some graphics classes, and whatever. And then from there, I kind of like dropped out and I'm like, was doing, I was a big airbrush artist, like a traditional airbrush artist. So I was doing like banners for my friends' bands and, you know, uh, like that, that kind of stuff and helmets and, you know. Oh, yeah. And then I did, because I moved to California and I lived in Lake Tahoe and I was doing airbrushing snowboards. That was like yeah. the one thing I was doing. But I didn't get introduced to when I moved out to Arizona because I had some friends, ironically, that were in the spawn, and then I went over their house, and they had like, uh, it was like spawn 48, what issue, I forgot what issue it was. Yeah. And I picked it up, and I'm like, wow, comics have changed yeah. <laughs> since I was a kid. And ironically, whatever, four years, five years later, I ended up working with him. So, and then I worked with him for a few years in his office, and then that was like comic book boot camp. I mean, there's no school, you were like his assistant? No, I worked on, well, yeah, so you, I worked you were in the colorist, at that colorist point. there yeah. and on inking. I was doing inking right. first. Yeah. And then I saw how computers were going to be, this is early 90s, mm -hmm. and uh, I saw how computers were really coming in the, in the, in the play here. Yeah. So I'm like, inking is, is traditional old style, you know, that I kind of knew that the computers were going to be start 
So I got into that and then started learning computers and he had his own like computer department there and I ended up hanging out with those guys and learning all that stuff and then from there on that's boom that's kind of been the colorist you know yeah. so and so you you kind of rolled into uh, yeah doing, I, doing colors as your main yeah job. I mean because I mean I do a lot more than that yeah, you know yeah. but uh, I guess my everybody knows me from the, the the colorist side you know what I mean so yeah but you even even do, did uh, like publishing with the Fraseda comics for image yeah, in yeah, which yeah. you like oversaw the entire project uh, yeah, yeah, yourself. yeah so I uh, that was a fluke because like I think because I collect art And I called the Frazettas, and they had some art on their website. And uh, I called, and I talked to Ellie, his wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm interested in this little doodle he had on, on his website. And she's very inquisitive and asked, like, oh, who are you? Oh, Jay, I do, you know, comic books. She's like, oh, send me my stuff. I'll show them the Frank. I'm like, okay. You know, so I sent out a big box of stuff to them. And then I called. They didn't, they don't do internet. They only do phone calls. You know, they're old school. And I called Molly. Hey, you get my box? Oh, yeah, here, Frank wants to talk to you. <laughs> in the phone and I'm talking to Frank Fazetta, you know, and at that time he had a heart attack and it was really hard to understand him. Mm. So he, it was kind of like talking to a, a, a Rocky, but yeah. drunk kind of. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, sir, yes, yes, sir. You know, then, then he handed the phone back to Ellie and then I got to talking to Ellie again. And then I said, hey, would you be interested in doing any more uh, comic books? Because I know... Danzig, you know the singer Danzig? Yes. Yeah. Glenn he had Verotic, Verotic, yeah. Verotic yeah. comics, and they're really and, and upset with they... Frazetta did a lot of covers for him. Yes. Uh, he created well, uh, Jaguar Gods. Yes, like but yeah. Frazetta or Ellie did not like what, how they portrayed what, uh, what Danzig and Verotic did. It was more... You a lot know, of tits, right? Tits and, and explicit violence and really no story. <laughs> it yeah. was just, you know, whatever. <laughs> Very little, yeah. So... So Ellie agreed to it with like, she gave me a list of rules, which was no excess of gore, no nudity, and no cursing. So I'm like, okay. So I had to follow these rules. And we, we did the, the Death Dealer series, which was the number one yeah. series at Image. And then that rolled into doing the Frazetta comics, which was just basically taking Frank's art and creating a story for each one of his pieces of art. And then he ended up, Ellie ended up dying. And then... Uh, a year later then Frank died and then all the children uh, there was over. like four yeah took yeah. over and there was a big fight if you saw that and, yeah. uh, and then I had to just throw my hands up and go see ya I'm yeah. out you know and then yeah so yeah I'm a big hard guy, horror guy yeah Yeah, because I, I, I guess because I, I bring a mood to it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I remember when I got introduced to Jay in, in Land of the Dead uh, was because when we were doing the, the CSI comics, like the color work was not that good. So the editor was like trying to find a guy to pair with my art in which he thought that we could be like uh, strengthening each other's work. And then I, I remember when, when I sent the first pages from Land of the Dead Chris Ryle, my editor since then, um, told me that, well, this guy, Jay Photos, has a very, like, cinematic style, but also, like, very moody and very good for dark stories and stuff like that. And I immediately loved the first samples that I got uh, from his coloring work for, for uh, Land of the Dead. And then it was very fun that moving from that project to the adaptation we did from Clyde Barker's The Great and Secret Show, which even though it's still sort it's of a horror really good. story. Did anybody get it? Yeah. It's, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. We're very proud of yeah. that book, and, and Clive ended up being very, very happy with that one. Yeah. He wrote us a very nice, like, introduction to the finished book because he, he really felt that we, we really succeeded in portraying the world that he created uh, through images. But the, the great thing for me was that project was very different in tone and approach to what we did in Land of the yeah. Dead. And Jay's coloring worked really well with that as well. So I knew immediately that he had a, a very huge range of approach to the coloring mm. of a different kind of story in terms to serve the story uh, for what it needed. So when we eventually keep doing more different projects and we ended up like working in, in lock and key 
I knew from the get-go that Jay would be involved and that was like an additional uh, uh, input uh, of enthusiasm for, for me because uh, knowing the people you work with and knowing that they can always surprise you in each new project makes it even more exciting. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew which the quality standard was going to be, but never knew what's going to be the finished page. So when I got the first lock and key pages in which he tried a new different thing from what we did before was very exciting. Mm. Was it very liberating? As you can imagine, working on CSI, yeah. obviously working on a lot of licenses, it sounds very... Yeah. Yeah, in a way, I think I was very lucky that my first professional job in comics was doing those CSI comics, but because I, I can't imagine a more like restricted kind of story to be working in in comics because it was basically guys talking in rooms for pages yeah. and pages and pages, and you had to figure out a way to make it visually interesting and give it pacing and, and, and drama to that. And even though it felt, if you tell to someone it could be like the most boring like uh, commission you could get for a comics job, I love doing the, uh, that. So I, I realized immediately in that job that I really loved this form of storytelling and this form of craft. So I knew, man, if I'm having fun doing this comic, what it would be to, to be doing something like more in the vein of the style that I read and I loved when I was a kid. So when I got the chance to do first like The Great and Secret Show, in which was the first comic in which I was able to propose a visual language for it and create the characters and everything was in, incredibly fun and liberating. And for me that was great because that project basically set, the, set me as training for the skills that I needed later to be working in something like Lock and Key. So it was incredible for me when I got like the pitch for Lock and Key because uh, it was uh, again Chris Ryle, the editor, that got uh, the first contact with Joe Hill that approached to IDW with these ideas for a few uh, comic book series. Back then, none of us knew who Joe Hill was. Mm. All that we knew that he had published a... a no, no, I, no, no, at all. And the, the fun thing is, neither us or the publishers of IDW and not even Joe's agent knew. Because at that point, Joe had just published his collection of short stories, uh, 20th Century Ghost, and was about to release his first novel, A Heart Shaped Box. And when he released that novel, it uh, popped up the news that, that he was the son of Stephen King and everything. So it, we were already like, two or three months in working in the early stages of Lock and Key mm. when the news broke out and Joe's agent almost had a heart attack when he found out. Mm. But it was great because... Uh, uh, what was your reaction on... I was... It was like... Uh, the thing is, when I, I, I got uh, to read the collection of short stories, when they proposed me the, the pitch of uh, the idea of working with Joe, they told me he, he wrote this short story, they're amazing, give it a read. And, and when I was reading it, it was like very fun because I was reading the stories and thought, well, this is sort of like Stephen King kind of stuff, mm. but more in, in the vein of stuff that I really love. I, I loved his writing more than I, I did uh, Stephen King's books. So that was very fun to realize. And then I, when, I, when I figured out that he was trying to, he, he was like working for over 10 years before he got the publishing of his first novel, Mm. And, and the fact that he struggled into making a career with a name of his own, not relying on his father and everything, immediately told me about his uh, work ethics and the way in which he approached like creative jobs and everything. So in a way, that uh, helped us to create a bond because we basically have like same ideas about creativity and re creative responsibility and how to make a thing for yourself and everything. And it was very fun because uh, a couple, just a, a few weeks before that, uh, I got the, the basic pitch for, for Lock and Key, which is uh, the one that he sent to the publisher, which was two pages. One page in which he had a brief description of what it was going to be the story, and another page in which had, he had like three-line description of each of the main characters of the first arc. And with that, they sent me just a couple of pictures of reference about uh, what they wanted to be with the house, with Key House. And they told me, okay, what you can do with this. And then I sent them back uh, a few sketches of the main characters and the house. 
and the first key that was the ghost key, mm. uh, the, the design of that one. And Joe loved it and the publishers loved it. And from the get go, it was like an incredibly easy and natural relationship. We, I think we never had an argument about anything. We sort of like guess what the other wants, uh, wanted to do with the story, with the characters and everything. So from then on, it was like a, a very natural evolution of the project. So Yeah. Well, from very early on, we uh, fell into a very collaborative uh, dynamics. I would say that probably in the first arc, Joe, uh, when I started drawing, Joe had already written the first, I think, four issues of the first arc. So I'd say that most of the core of the writing and approach to the storytelling of the first book is mostly what Joe had in his mind. And I used that uh, as a very solid reference to build the visuals of the world. And, and the thing is, Joe always in his script lived uh, a lot of like open room to try new things with the visuals. He always tells me, well, this is this action sequence, that's the how I conceived it, but if you have any idea of how to make this like more interesting or more exciting, just do as many changes as you want. So from time to time, like I, I changed the shots and the way in which we approached the space in which the character were developing and, and everything. But then from then on, when we finished the first book, uh, luckily we got support from the publisher to do this uh, book, not just as an ongoing series, but as a series of mini series. And that allowed us to, every time that we finish one book, we made a little pause and, and talked to each other about what we wanted for the next book, what would be the tone, how we wanted to split the different issues, and how to keep developing like the overarching story. So I would say from the, bet the between the pause of the first and the second book, we always had like this sort of a little like a creative uh, wor workshop of a couple of weeks in which we discussed ideas and, and, and tried to figure out which new keys would be fun to do. So do they you guys, always do you guys like call each other and go? No, it was mostly via email, which oh. was uh, like very uh, fun because uh, in a way uh, having it all written help us like keep track of what we've been discussing and have it up, back it up in order not to, to forget anything. So. Uh, as, as we finished the first arc with Joe, we discussed the, the entire concepts of what we call the backstory Bible of, the, of, the, of Lock and Key, in which we basically defined the stuff that was related to Randall Lock's story in terms of what that would affect the kids of the story that we were telling in the future. And then uh, the other thing was that very early on, uh, uh, Joe asked me, well, do you want to be in this in the whole run? And I tell him, okay, I will be, but as long as we're aiming to an ending, because I wanted to make a story that had a beginning, a middle, and an ending, and close an entire arc. Well, that's very surprising, because I think, because of the structure of the mm -hmm. series, because there are six chapters, yeah. like three big books, you'd yeah. say like Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, like yeah. that seems like it's been planned out from the beginning, yeah, and yeah, not developed as you were kind of going yeah, along. Yeah, we had the, the idea of doing such, at the, at the very beginning we weren't sure if there were going to be like four or six books, and also the amount of issues, because at, at some point we, we talked about maybe extending the story over like 50 issues, but then we realized that in a certain point, and that was something that we decided to do in the fourth book, in Kiss to the Kingdom, which was, we don't want this to be, to get like a, a, repetitive, a repetitive structure in which we introduce a new key and that sets a problem and that Dutch use it in certain ways and make the kids get into trouble and then we solve it because that could be like, you, you could have like four or five books that would just like that. And then we came with the idea of doing the February issue in which we introduced like a lot of keys just with a panel or two in which we realized that the kids were struggling with Dodge trying to take over the keys but not getting into that repetitive uh, uh, structure. 
so that helped us condensate the story and prepare the ending in a much more like satisfying, concentrated way. And, and that's when we decided that we wouldn't need like 50 issues, that only around 40 would be what we needed to, to complete the story. And we ended up doing uh, 37 issues. Also having a, a, a support from the publisher that uh, they told us if from time to time you need to have an issue that's longer than 22 pages, which was the standard back then. Uh, so we had room to do a couple of issues that were 28 pages and a couple that were 32 pages, especially for the ending, mm -hmm. in which we knew we need more space in the individual chapters. So luckily we have a lot of freedom to accommodate both the format and the release dates in terms to tell the story in the best possible way. Did you uh, like have a, a surplus of ideas? Because it read the one shots that came after the main series, like Small World yeah. and Open the Moon, were yeah. those ideas that were, the ideas for the special keys in those stories, mm -hmm. were they leftovers from the main series or were those like, wouldn't it be? In a way it was like our way to condensate this concept that start showing up that we knew that we couldn't fit in the main story of the story of Tyler, Kinsey and Bodie. And, and, and it was then that we realized, okay, this is growing bigger than we thought it would. And there, here's room to explore this with the idea of the legacy of a family. And that's when we started doing it, because uh, at the very beginning when we discussed how we're going to introduce the keys to new readers, and um, we started this uh, diary of Benjamin Locke at the back of each issue in which we release each one of the keys as part of the diary of the guy that created them. And then we realized, okay, but it couldn't be just one guy who created these keys, it could be like his sons and grandsons keep creating new keys for the Locke family and we started expanding the history of the family in this section and then we realized okay here are like individual stories that would be very interesting to tell uh, in different books and that's the reason why now we're wanting to return to Lock and Key to tell new stories because we realized that this world grew bigger than we, wa uh, we originally expected to and we do have stories we want to tell in that context. Because, because at the very beginning, we wanted to finish the story of Tyler, Kinsey, and Bodie. And, and we don't want it to overstretch it to the point of exhaustion. And with Joe, we've been discussing in the latest year a lot of ideas that we have with certain keys and certain moments of the story of the Locke family that we want to explore. And that's why we are returning to do more Lock and Key in the very near has, future. Has anybody read or seen Nailed It yet? the yeah you guys seen it because yeah because when you were going to introduce the the start up again i'm like yeah well i don't want to give any spoilers away but the house burns down right yeah. so i'm like well wh what's going to happen yeah. so it's brilliant yeah yeah and, it, and it's done in a, in a way how they bring everything back so yeah it, I, I have one issue yeah. <laughs> at, yeah. the, at the table but yeah. when dog days comes out it, it includes that which will yeah. be out november 6th that yeah. would include that story along with a uh, uh, new story that we, we did. So there's like two 10-page stories that go with it. Yeah. But, and but it's, yeah. The, it's the return to the Locke family universe. In a way, yeah. these little stories that we'd been doing in the past uh, that were like Small World, Open the Moon, and Grindhouse, etc. Mm. They were exploring what we call like the golden age of the Locke family, mm. which is the story of Chamberlain Locke and his kids. And uh, our plan now is to finish that group of stories. We have only two stories left to do after Dog Days, which are going to be uh, one shot that we are hoping to be doing by the end of this year. And then a story that we split probably in two or three issues that will close that arc of Golden Age stories and complete what we call the seventh unnumbered lock and key volume. And that will, in a way, be the introduction of the new stories that we're going to develop after that, because we are hoping to be able to, to create a new run of six books in which we will be exploring in parallel both the past and the future of the Locke family. We will continue from the point in which we stopped the first arc, and we are like taking that back in the Nailed It story. Yeah. So from then on, it's a, a new starting point to figure out what happened with Tyler, Kinsey, Bodie, and Nina after the events of the first arc. And in the same time, their adventures are going to be related to events of the past of the Locke family that we're going to explore in parallel stories. So that's going to be what we're going to do in the 
in the future. And this new, these new chapters that are coming, was yeah. this something that you were already talking about when you We've sort of We've been talking closed? about that for years. I remember when, when we finished the first arc of, of Lock and Key, we already had a couple ideas that we wanted to do, but back then wasn't like the right time. It was at the same time in which Joe was very involved in the development of the first two adaptations that tried to do of Lock and Key to a different media, both the project that did Fox did first and then Hulu. And they both like failed and it was like a very exhausting period and at the same time also Joe was working in his new novels. So he had no time to write more comics. So we decided just to wait for a while and also to, to give us like time to think over the concept that we wanted to develop because what we didn't want to do was like to keep like milking the lock and key cow because it was successful uh, because we ended up like very tired after finishing the first six books so it was like for me it was six years of work non-stop almost like 24 7 uh, seven days a week and it was like uh, very tough. I, I never did a, a project that long uh, before. As I said, it was almost like 900 pages of, of comics and covers for that project alone. And, uh, and also I think it was good to have this pause of these last few years because with all the other projects that I did in between and all the other stuff that Joe has been doing in between, we are like much more trained in this craft. And I feel when I started the first lock and key run, I wasn't uh, completely like happy with my drawing style yet. And I think it was exploring, but at least I felt like I ha had the storytelling tools that I needed to tell the story. So in that regard, I'm very happy with that in the first run. But right now I feel like I'm more mature, not only as a storyteller, but also as an artist in a way that I feel like my tools are really ready to tell this new lock and key story. So I'm very excited about trying it uh, in this time. And, and luckily we had lots of occasions in which with Joe we've been discussing the idea of what we want to do. So we're pretty much on track of what we want to do now and ready to just jump headfirst into that. So you guys are gearing up for like another several years of doing lock yeah, and key Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, well, we gotta ride the, well, the TV show we yeah. got to ride those coattails a little bit, right? You yeah. Know? So I think to have all the creators in sync with a TV show at the same time, it's just like kind of a no-brainer, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even though you could probably ride on reprints and, yeah. you know, whatever, but <laughs> yeah. I think it's more fun because uh, I work on Wyana Earp. I don't know, is, there, is Wyana Earp out here yes. on Sci-Fi Channel? Okay. Well, what do you have Sci-Fi Channel out here? Yeah. Uh, I no, we don't have sci-fi, but I've I've seen it around. Okay, mm. so it's that's I think it's in season, going into season four. Oh. Yeah, and we're doing the comic books to kind of ride along with the TV show, so it's kind of fun. Mm. You know, it kind of helps promote both at the same time. You know, because it's all based from the comic books, right? So obviously, you want to show you know cut content from the guys that actually created oh, yeah. it you know that's, so that's that, that's also what made uh, IDW what it is yeah, yeah. is is uh, producing new things for license and having something that is I think 30 days a night is what really put yeah. I think put them sure. on the map yeah. Yeah. you know so yeah. yeah and in a way we're very lucky that we I think somehow we were blessed that the first two attempts of doing the Lock and Key show uh, succeeded because that was in the middle when we were still finishing the comic and I was a little nervous that maybe if the show happened and succeeded that would affect the way in which we wanted to tell the story so having that first start completely finished before it gets adapted to a different media I think is better and more liberating for us as creators because even though now the new stuff that we're doing is going to be done at the same time that the TV show will be on the air the show will still be based in the first arc, so we have like absolute freedom to do whatever we want with the new stories that we're going to explore. And new yeah, characters you, you and won't new you won't run into a Game of Thrones situation. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. basically but yeah. Um, you were you were saying that um, it it took you um, or a lot of energy to finish that first arc, the yeah. six seven years. Yeah. Um, you've since done some smaller projects, but you've also started uh, Sword of Ages. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't. 
seem like a thing that you did in, in like a summer vacation, a 30-page yeah, 30, yeah. 30 book, right? Yeah. Um, and it also seems that that is part one of a multi-part yeah. Uh, epic. Yeah. So um, uh, n- not, not to, to, um, <laughs> uh, to, to push you on, but um, yeah. uh, you're, you're, uh, on the one hand, you're saying, well, this is, this is a lot of work, but now yeah. you have two of those projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost at the same time. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll find a way to, to work it out. Um, I'm very aware that uh, even though both Joe and myself uh, are really eager to return to Lock and Key, I'm also aware that Joe has a lot of commitments with other projects as well. So probably the way in which the new Lock and Key run is going to be is that probably we're going to do one book and then make a pause in which we will be developing other stuff and then do the next book. But we're trying to do it in the most like organized and, and, and consistent way possible. Luckily for me... So I'm don't a, get sick. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and luckily for me, I'm at a stage of, of my life in which uh, I do have uh, three kids that were just like growing up while I was uh, doing Lock and Key. And that was like my second and third kid were born when I was working and this was like a really, really tough uh, time in terms of demanding of uh, waking hours and lack of sleep and stuff like that. So I'm counting on that from now on, I will have like more organized years well, that's that, going that, to be easier that, to that handle. That means that at least one of those kids will probably reach puberty soon. Yeah, yeah, but no, no, but luckily my oldest kid is very, very, uh, like with his head very well placed over his shoulder. So he helps me a lot with that. Cool. And yeah, and, and I have, I have uh, three boys and in a way that I've learned how to handle them. So. I'm hoping things will work, but the sleep deprivation is like the worst part of that. And I was, when I had my third kid, I was like 42. And I can tell you that having a kid at 42 is very different from having a 32. And uh, so the, the toll on, of exhaustion was big. But yeah, you never know. Life happens and you never know how to deal with that. But I, I, I'm more confident than that we have way more experience now that we had when we started uh, doing Log and Key. And we know what we can do together as a team as well. So basically, one of the things that we really enjoy about working in this book is that both uh, the editor, Chris Ryle, and Joe, and Jay, and myself, we've been knowing each other for over a decade. So we know how everyone works and how to rely on everyone else's skills. That you can rely. Yeah, on and that now. you can rely. and that and that and you keep surprising each other. Every time that I get a new script for, from Joe, it blows my mind and I try to best uh, that I can with them when I put it on the page. And then I send the black and white pages to Jay and I know that Jay's coloring is going to surprise me when I get the page back. And that was something that fills this project with magic. Just doing these two short stories in which we returned to Lock and Key, nailed it and dug days was such a rewarding and fun time and it felt so easy compared to how hard it was at the beginning of the, of the original Lock and Key run. Because when you when you see the art on this collected or when they're the, the dog days. Yeah. And because the dog days story is 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 really unique by itself that uh, yeah, I want to say that if you look cuz we were talking about this last night or whatever if you look at the what we did at the beginning and see what we're doing now, I think it, it's way more advanced and way more. I, I think we're having more fun with it. I yeah. think now, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, back then it was very grueling, yeah, like yeah. what you were yeah. saying. It but was a learning experience. Yeah. So That's now I think we're older. I, I guess wiser. also it it being a, an an established property. Yeah. And you being established creators. Yeah. Uh, and and having even even if the 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 um, third and and fourth and fifth attempt of of other media remains unsuccessful. You have that buzz sort of going, mm. yeah. and you have the work to back that up. Yeah, and I'm sure that that makes it. Uh, yeah. I was wondering about no this because there. between you two, is there like a lot of back and forth? Because yeah. I, in when it comes to Jay's colors, in terms of like the the grindhouse story and the mm-hmm. open the moon story, there are specific colors that are. Related yeah, well, to the he, setting of, uh, he would he would send notes like for a specific like Grindhouse yeah. that he wanted like just kind of these flat 
kind of colors yeah, or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And then I don't know if you ever even gave me a reference. I think. No, but mostly I, I explain you the concept. I know you're like very familiar with different kinds yeah. of coloring and stuff like that. So from time to time, I just, uh, I think just a couple of times I've sent you a couple of samples to see, let's try a color palette yeah, in yeah. this uh, sort of, for Dog Days, I think I did because we used yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in Dog Days. There's two different the, styles yeah, that we mixed. One, and one of the art styles that we use in Dog's Day is inspired in what uh, Albert Tuderzo did in Asterix. So I wanted to have like that approach to drawing and coloring in the way we tell a part of that story. More colorful, more, more, yeah. Like more, more light, strip, more, more like a comic strip yeah. style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the and other the same style with the, that we did with the Bill Watterson homage on Sparrow in the first run, yeah. and oh, of course what we did with Grindhouse and with Open the Moon. But I like so. a lot better what we did on Dog Day. I think yeah. it, it's got a really, really good contrast between the styles of art, and I, I think it works really, really well. But note-wise, uh, like I'll do, I'll I'll do my sweep of of colors, and then Rael. You know, he'll send it to Joe and, and then, hey, anybody got any notes? Mm. You know, because I think, I think the only note I think from, from, um, from Nailed It was I didn't know the, the time frame of yeah. what, what right. time of the yeah. year yeah. it was. What season was it? Yeah, and, and then uh, in the story, Gabe did this really nice landscape with trees and whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to make it fall and I'm going to have all these cool fall colors. And yeah. I think I sent it out. And, and Joe's like, no, it's, it's, it's. It's like summer. Everything's green. And I'm like, damn it, it looks so put, good. Put that you in know? your script, Joe. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't yeah know, was, was it in the script? That was lazy writing because it wasn't in the script. Yeah, okay. It's, it's completely up so to So I Joe. was trying to sell them on yeah. it. I'm like, well, could it be like late summer? Because yeah. it looks Indian so summer. Yeah. That's the kind of summer. And then, uh, yeah. then I think Rael was like, yeah, he just wants it. You know, and I'm like, okay. So I had to like kind of <laughs> trying to kind of change it in. But that was yeah. that. And then yeah. with, uh, with Dog Days, I don't think there were any edits on no just a couple like very very specific oh, yeah, like, in yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. panels but yeah, yeah. things about the contrast of yeah. certain yeah, images yeah, yeah. and and that's so, it but yeah he'll more, just more he'll just shoot me notes and go mm. fix you know whatever, yeah. do this do that or whatever and then usually he's right or yeah. you know whatever so <laughs> I'm, i don't complain about any of it i'm not the guy like you know, even though i was like kind of complaining about the artist ego about and, the uh yeah. well you you the you, fall it thing. seemed you had cause to yeah yeah no, the but, other thing is that when, when you know your collaborators for a lot of, a lot of time, you started like knowing sort of in which direction they would they would go. So and trust them. Yeah. To, so to, basically, to, Joe in the script tells me things that try some stuff in this direction, but if you don't, and then when I'm drawing, I I sort of know the kind of stuff that Jay could do. Mm. So I try to leave like room for him to come with his coloring and to add up. To that in in a way I I'm trying in this new lock and key run to be like more like simple and linear in the drawing to give more room to the color to that complete it. it helps with production right yes yeah. you know like we were all, we were talking about this last night too mm -hmm. about how you know he would work from like six in the morning to twelve at night or whatever yeah, yeah. on the early stages but then yeah. as you're learning as an artist and then yeah. you're, you're collaborating with, a, with, with, with me mm -hmm. that like, you know, he could back off and go, you know what, I don't need to render out all yeah. this. Jay can do yeah. that, yeah. you know, so it gives him more time to kind of yeah. get Have there paid. ever been instances where Joe's written something? Because they're in the back of Small World, there's mm -hmm. a, like a little excerpt from his script included. Yeah. And he's talking about like the double page spread yeah. where Benjamin Locke and the entire family is sitting yeah. around the corner. He's yes. very apologetic where he's like, yes. this is going to take yeah, a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got been... a lot of scripts with apologies <laughs> up front yeah, yeah. because he knew the kind of stuff that he was getting us into. But uh, in a way, he knows that when he challenged me to do something that's completely a pain in the ass to draw, I can't help but take the challenge and yeah. do it and try it so it's basically extending an apology to my entire family to, to just have patience that for a week or so that's going to be completely messed up but he's built for it because this is another thing like uh, if, if anybody didn't catch what he said that it, okay be careful don't go oh yeah the edge of the things <laughs> right there um he is originally a, a draftsman yeah. or uh, architecture Architect, yeah you know and then and then as a guy that I've worked with, with so many different other artists and, and whatever, and then 
and uh, even with writing and producing or whatever, that I would talk to artists and I'd be like, all right, well, let's think of some. What do you what do you like to draw or what do you don't like to draw? I, I hate drawing cars. I hate drawing buildings. You know, so. <laughs> And then and Gabe that, is yeah. Gabe. You should, you should is, speak to Gabe. <laughs> yeah, you know because Gabe has, and I've told this to so many different other creators that for consistency from, you look at the first book to the last. Uh, yeah, book, and and you, you have the 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 full laid out designs of the oh, entire yeah. house. I did the, I did the, the entire island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing, yeah. Try to do that with another okay. artist. Yeah. You know, forget it. Like, you know, yeah, I guess but. I have a sort of a obsess obsessive compulsion that I just can't hold. But when I started working in, in Lock and Key and I realized that both the house and the keys are going to be like key characters in the story, I immediately started uh, facing the challenge of doing Key House as an architectural project itself. And the keys as if it was like a, a, a design project. So I, I bought these uh, sheets of paper that were like, uh, had a grid of millimeters. Mm -hmm. So I did like a five to one scale drawings of the keys, thinking, okay, if a guy eventually have to build these keys, how they're going to be. So I did like a front view and a profile of each that's one a, of That's a real ar architect thing to yeah. think, yeah. right? And, yeah, and yeah. for the house, it was the same. I knew that I would need to draw the house over and over. And knowing how obsessive I am with having like an accurate perspective and, and everything, I think, okay, the only way I would not complete, get completely crazy doing this is if I build a 3D model that I could use as a template to do the different perspectives of the house. Mm -hmm. So with Google SketchUp, I did a 3D model of Key House. And also I had this very stupid idea of making the house as uneven and as symmetric as possible. So every view of the house is completely different from the mm -hmm. other. So I had to do it and, and I did this basic 3D model of the house. And then as the story progresses, I realized that I needed like the, the de detailed blueprints of the entire house to yeah. make the action sequence to be consistent inside. I knew where every room was in the house in order to, to just choreograph the action inside of it. So I did the base it on the model. I did the entire blueprints. And of course, I sent those blueprints to Joe and told him, okay, Joe, here you have the blueprints of the house. So now you have a references of how to create the story inside it. And the first thing that he did in the next script was to ignore that because it was a story in which he placed a bathroom in a place where there was no bathroom. So I had to remodel the house in order to make the bathroom fit and change the entire blueprint and then send him almost a note in which, man, I need you to sign this and swear to me that you're going to respect the design of the house for the future. So knowing that upfront, in the new development of Lock and Key, I'm designing new stuff with blueprints again, in which I'm leaving a part of it, which is flexible for Joe to try to but figure I, out stuff I would have later. thought that you told Joe, no, that's where the bathroom is. You yeah. changed the yeah. action sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, there was no way to make the sequence work yeah, okay. if the bathroom wasn't there. So I was completely fucked up at that time. To, if anybody reads the one. new Nailed It story, mm -hmm. Because uh, when I read this, I think, I don't know if I got the script first. I think I usually get a, a batch of pages, then I ask to read the script. And then when I read the script and I, the ending, and I'm like, oh man, Gabe's got to do this all over again. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> so uh, yeah. and I'm like, wow, okay, well, we're in for it again, you know? Yeah. So. yeah that, that Joe is a real masochist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how writers work. And then. <laughs> As I'm a writer as well now, since I did sort of ages, you got, I got to say, I was my own uh, worst self-punisher because when I started drawing sort of ages, I made a list. So this is the stuff that I'm not going to write in this story for me to draw. And then as the story progresses, then I start I like I need erasing stuff yeah. in did the you, list. Did you actually I write? Did you write yeah. a full script? Well, uh, yeah, I did write full you script did? because okay. I, I needed to, as English is not my main language, I needed to train my English in the process of writing because at the very beginning I tried to write it in Spanish and then translate it to English. But then I figured out that I took liberties in Spanish that uh, I wasn't able to translate later because languages work in different ways. So then I realized, okay, I need to write this in full English in order to be able to say what we, I want to say with the words in the story. Uh, but then, for example, one of the things that I would not do in the comic was to have like a massive action battle scene. 
and then I ended up writing an issue and a half of a massive battle action scene. So it was you the story. It, the know. story drives you to the places that it need to be told, and there's there no way to fight that. A reason why you're so attracted, like with Sword of Ages, which is sort of a sci-fi take on the Arthur yeah. legend, and you've done Little Nemo, and yeah. now Island of Doctor Moreau. These are all sort of genre stories, but they kind of lie at the basis of our current pop culture. Is there a reason yeah. why you? No, go basically, back to I try to to reach out and reconnect with all the different books that I love and cherish when I was a kid. I was a huge fan of Mobius comics when I was young. I, I remember, I, I I remember that in a way, like reading the stuff from Erge and Tintin and Uderzo and Goscinny and Asterix and and the Mobius comics when I was a kid. It was like, this thing is not just entertainment. This is fine arts. There's a, a form of creativity here that's complex and appealing and layered. And any way that drove me in, in, into a world of creativity that was very exciting and, and provoking uh, to me. So uh, basically, Sword of Ages is my thank you love letter to the comics from Mobius and Jodorowsky that I read in my childhood. And, uh, and, and basically, trying, I, I tried that every new book that I do is in a different genre and with different storytelling and that helps me to develop a different uh, art style to approach that. So uh, you can see that Lock and Key and Little Nemo and Sword of Ages and Dr. Moreau have a completely different storytelling and art approach into that. And I tried to do different things with each one of those. In, in Dr. Moreau, uh, I tried to face the challenge of telling a, a full story in 48 pages, as if it was a, a, a European band the album and also trying to, to learn a, a way to tell the story into just double page spreads that I've seen once done in the adaptation that Jim Steranko did of the movie Outland, which the movie isn't that good, but the graphic novel adaptation of it is amazing. He did in 48 pages, double page spread that had very few panels on it an amazing work of, uh, of uh, draftsmanship and narrative. And that was one of my heaviest inspirations in the approach to Dr. Moreau, in which I tried to mix. Has anybody picked that book up yet? The, it's the it's second it's issue. It's really I just good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really, cool. it's really cool how you did it. It's yeah, awesome. yeah, that was very, very exhausting to do. It yeah. was like uh, five months of work that were like, just two issues, yeah. yeah, it's just two issues. But in a way, I tried to make a, a crossover between this uh, storytelling that I saw from this Storanko book with an art style that was reminiscent of uh, uh, Bernie Wrightson and Frazetta and uh, other I influence of that kind. I've never used as much black as I used in the art of Dr. Moreau. Because issue two just came out, Yeah, right? issue two yeah, just yeah. came out uh, early this week, so it's already entirely I didn't published. work on it, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but you were just... N Nelson Daniel yeah. did it? Yeah, he's, a, he's an amazing it. colorist, too. Yeah, he, he's a, also a Chilean creator that did the colors in Little Nemo as well, and now in Dr. Moreau is trying something completely different and really good with that. Yeah. Well, you were talking about like Island of Dr. Moreau is based on the H.G. Wells story. Yeah. And you were saying that all these stories have sort of like a timeless classic appeal. Yeah. Would you say now, because Lock and Key is so popular and look <laughs> at the crowd, this is like the biggest crowd we've ever had for one of these panels. <laughs> yeah. Why do you, do you think there are like those kinds of uh, qualities within Lock and Key? Or why would you say that Lock and Key has become so popular and enduring. I think that Lock and Key, in a way, became a really living story. The, the, the characters connected with the readership in a way that we never expected to. In a way, living with the locks for six years was like having an entire expansion in my own family with these people that I was very invested into. And that investment, from the creative point of view, really appealed the reader. I always remember the time when we were finishing the third book, Crown of Shadow. That story ended with a single story that focused on Nina Locke. 
and with in which she had a massive like crash down at the center of that story and i remember that working in that specific set of 22 pages for over a month sharing every day with this woman having like the worst time of her life at that point you it was depressed. like it was almost <laughs> depressing and really exhausting but in a way it was like man this feels very real and and to have the the sort of of a, of a reaction against the stuff that you're creating from a blank page was incredibly like uh, mind-bending uh, for me and and to see that the characters caused that same sort of reaction to the to your readership it's like a magic effect that you can you can always hope for but you can never plan for it to happen so i i think in a way part of the magic of lock and key was that it sparked something in a way that we never expected it to and in a way we were able to to keep the story growing in a way that that spark wasn't missed and i think that our one of the things that uh, made us be cautious and wait for the right moment to return to the lock and key universe was to be sure that we were be able to provide something that the readers would appreciate and would feel for them to make sense to return to these characters because one of the things that's most like surprising for me is even today from time to time getting emails from people from all over the world telling me that they have read this book and in a way that helped us helped them in a moment that they were having a problem or when they were being like really bored and and they needed something to uplift them or a woman that once wrote me to tell to tell me that the the way in which the morning subject was dealt in lock and key helped her to deal with the loss of her husband so when you get like those sort of feedback you realize how powerful stories are and how powerful certain characters and world become and how responsible you are as a creator of giving your very best every time that you create a new book because you never know how much how meaningful it could turn for the people that's receiving their work and supporting your work and allowing you to make a living out of it so i think it's a very like fulfilling entire creative and and and, and sharing experience well, the, the, it's. Uh, I'd, I'd love to talk more, but I've I've been given the five minute sign. So, yeah. um, if there are some questions from the audience, we'll take yeah, one sure. or two. Uh, I'll start at the front. Hello. First off, the comic series Lock and Key is amazing. I love it. Thank uh, you. While I'm now wondering, like most artists or writers or different to art, get sometimes an artist block or a writer's block, and. Mm -hmm. When you get that, like in your low spring, like, oh, I cannot find anything to do, how do you get out of it again? For me, I, if anybody follows me on Instagram, <laughs> they know I have turtles. So I'll, I'll uh, and I work at home, and uh, if I have a block, I'll go sit out in the backyard, have a cigar, or, you know, I have a soda, or I'll go see a movie, or I'll go to my friend's house and barbecue or something, mm. and I just step away from it. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it's enough that when I step away from it or I talk to other creators, I'm very collaborative when I work. Mm. So if, if I have ideas, I usually, I'll call somebody else, I'm like, hey, I got this idea, what do you think, blah, 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 blah. And they go, well, what about blah, 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 yeah. And then, meh, 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 and then, la, 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 and then, <laughs> boom, you have a story, you know? Yeah. So for me, yeah. it's like that, if I talk to, other creators too so that helps me kind of unblock stuff I guess yeah and for me it's basically I'm very aware that this is a painstakingly slow craft so one the two things that I try to do in order to make sure that I keep a as much as steady as possible creative pace is to plan as much as I can in advance I every time that I can I try to have the scripts at hand as early as possible because um, I, I, I work out weekly, I run. So one of the things that I do is when I'm running, I'm constantly thinking about how I'm going to handle a story and turn it into visuals um, in advance in order to be able to plan pages like a week or a couple of weeks before I actually start drawing them. And the other thing is being aware that you're not going to be as inspired and creative all the time. 
So basically what I try to do is when I'm, I feel like I'm very creative and inspired and everything, I try to do as much of the creative part of the work as I can and saving like the mechanic part of the work for the moments in which I feel like I'm more stiff or restricted or uncreative. So for example, I try to do as much of the penciling of a book as I can when I'm very, very uh, inspired and loose. And when I feel like very stiff and don't know exactly what to do, I lay, lay more into the inking part. And in the times when I'm like very sleepy or blocked, I start like inking the stuff that's less important in a panel, but basically try to advance with the mass of it. And when I feel loose again, and then I get into drawing faces and designing characters and stuff like that. But basically what experience teach you is uh, how to handle the difficult moment because there were going to be there all the time, periodically, and you have to have a way to, to sort them in the smartest way as possible. And also, as Jay said, talking with colleagues and making breaks, listening to music, uh, going to see movies, uh, checking how other creators deal with their stuff as well is very inspiring. I, I love to uh, watch like documentaries about creators of different crafts, movie makers, musicians, artists, and just listening from their experiences is a very good way to, to learn new tools about how to do it. Um, I have a question for Gabe. Uh, you mentioned several creators like Mobius or Wrightson, but I mm -hmm. wanted to ask which were the conscious influence that you have? I know it's an unending question for, for an artist, but uh, and the one that you look to even though mm -hmm. they don't consciously inspire you currently? Well, I'm very much like uh, I'm, I'm more of a European comics guy than an American guy. I sort of like, I, I, I feel it became like very exhausting for me trying to follow up the development of the story of superhero comics and stuff because they became like sort of repetitive and, and when they fall, fall into following what they've been doing in movies and everything sort of get confusing for me. And I'm much more of a guy like I want to start with a beginning, middle, end. So I, I have a lot of, uh, of creators uh, from Europe. I've been following a lot lately. Mobius is a big influence, but as well, I'm, I've become a huge uh, fan of Alain Dodier uh, with the Jerome K. Block series. And also the stuff in Black Sad blows my mind. And I've been studying Guarnido a lot, especially his, his pencil drawing. Is, uh, I think it's amazing. And another classic author that I adore is Herman Huppen, the guy that did Sarajevo Tango and the Bernan Prince series, which I have collected uh, since I was very young. And that kind of uh, storytelling, well, Francois Bouc is another that I study a lot. And, and Mobius interests me both in his work in sci-fi and fantasy as Mobius, as Giraud in Blueberry, which is uh, another book that I studied over and over. And I think in a way, there's a lot of the, uh, uh, Giraud approaching to the Western narrative of Blueberry that I, I use as a straight reference in Sword of Ages, for example, the way in which he used like the horizontal panels to, to make the landscape part of the story and all that is something that I keep checking. But basically, as probably many artists do, I have a folder with reference for over a hundred different artists and you're constantly like researching and, and figuring out what you can learn from others in terms of what you want to tell with the, your story. And basically, I become a guy that studies like certain topics when I approach to a new, a new stories. Because for example, for Dr. Moreau, I, I've been studying a lot of artists that did the very specific ways of rendering and use of blacks and texturing in the drawings and others that uh, do like cool animal designs for the design of the beast folk. In, in Dr. Moreau, uh, and it was completely different with what I did when I was doing a sort of ages in which I focused a lot in the way, in the storytelling part of how they approach the narrative, how they approach the landscape, how they give the sense of an epic story in different genres and stuff like that, yeah. But it's always, it's always great to, to be aware that there are hundreds of guys that are more created and talented than you are that you can learn from. And that's something that encourages you to get better every day and to learn new things. And that's one of the things that I find more exciting about this craft, to figure out that there are artists that have very complex, detailed art that's fascinating, but as well, on the other hand, you got other ones that just with a couple lines can convey an entire universe of content and narrative. So it's amazing. 
Tyler over there wants to ask a question. <laughs> yeah. Do we have time for one more? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's a question for Gabriel, okay. um, and it's a simple one. Because you've designed the key so much, how much have you had to help Israel design the physical replicas? Well, for, for me, luckily, Israel is so good at his sculpting, uh, sculpting uh, craft that he basically just asked me for me to send him the blueprints that I did for the keys, and he finds a way to make them happen. Because I, even though I designed them as if they were going to be eventually built, there are a couple of keys that when I was designing them, I told myself, well, this would be impossible to make. For example, the Anywhere key, with all the rings entangled that were very small, I knew that if anyone eventually would try to do that one, we'd have a, a nightmare time to, to figure it out. And for Israel, it was, but it ended up uh, anyway making a fantastic replica of that one. So basically for me, it has been a blessing to have the chance to collaborate with a guy like him that could take like the more insane challenge of the keys design and he was able to do either the Anywhere key or the Time Shift key that he just released that's amazingly exact and accurate to the original design. So basically for me at this point, he's trying to figure out a key design that he can make happen to see if that's even possible. But I'm very sure that he would be able to make any, any key to come into life. So. Uh, that uh, there is nothing else for me than to uh, thank you all very much for your attendance here. Thank you very much. I hope much, you yeah. found it somewhat informative. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks, Tony. Thank you so much. Have a great facts. <laughs>